0: Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the marketplace, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, LORE, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Josh Dittmer is the host of the Live More, Regret Less podcast, and I've been so fortunate to find him in my podcasting journey. We had an incredible conversation on his podcast about the duality of femininity versus masculinity, and I finally found a guy who could talk the importance of rites of passage and how we view boys. Josh digs into the natural initiation he went through that moved him from boy to man, the emotional wounds he dealt with head-on, and the desire to learn from elders. We talk physicality meets emotion and a desire to grow into yourself. He harnesses his incredible energy and the own deep work he's done and coaches men on the transition from boyhood to manhood, influence, success, direction, self-reliance, and responsibility for your own reality. He is my new favorite Aussie. Let's dig in. I have on with me today Josh Dittmer, who's my new friend from Vancouver. Thanks for joining me today, Josh. I appreciate it.
1: Love it, love it, love it, Jen. Um, yeah, loved our conversation before, and so glad we got to vibe. Glad we got to vibe like that. I'm really, really excited to chat to you today.
0: Yeah, no, I, we had this really fantastic conversation on Josh's podcast about masculinity and femininity, and I love uh, one of the things that I was sharing with you right before we got started is, you know, I love this conversation. Um, that I get to have often about, you know, femininity in the workplace, masculinization versus sexualization um, in relationships, gender roles, and things like that. But one of the things that I worry about is that in some ways, especially because of the Me Too movement, that we're not correctly honoring and supporting boys and men who just want to, like, live their best lives. And I know that you um, have men's groups that you lead, and we've talked a lot about some of the work that you've done um, rights of initiation and these, these you know, ways of, of relating to the world that I don't want to get left behind. So I really wanted to dig in with you and kind of ask you about your story and how you got to a place where you decided you wanted to work with men and, and how you feel about kind of where we are today um, in our society where we're having a lot of conversations about masculinity and femininity coming together.
1: Mm, absolutely. Let's let's dig into it.
0: Perfect. How would you get started? What, what brought you to this place?
1: Uh, yeah, it's like as for most guys, it definitely came and began uh, from a wound, and my big wound was when my my dad left uh, at eleven years old, and I had such such an incredible childhood before that. I travelled up the west coast of Australia, you know, running around in the bush and like learning how to, I guess be a young free boy who got to, you know, I learned how to catch octopus from this guy we met, you know, on the reefs. And I learned how to go free diving and spearfishing and just learning how to, and live this real, like on the land, adventurous lifestyle that sounds like something out of a dream. And it was just, it was just beautiful. It was so much fun and it filled my soul with, with joy. And then it all came to a shuddering halt when my dad you know had an affair with my mom and uh he practically just disappeared and we lived in the same town and he you know lived just a few kilometers away from us and we just never saw him Mm. and it was it was so crazy to be a young boy you know and like you'd see your dad's car drive around the roundabout uh and like wave to your dad who wasn't there it was so weird and it just really wounded me and i felt like that there was something wrong in me and so i went through my teenage years just really feeling like something was wrong with me and really searching for answers like i really didn't have a, a role model and thankfully as i got older you know i just i felt like there was something missing i just really was always searching and searching and searching i still am searching and i just wanted to figure out like how to be right and not be wrong at a, at a fundamental level, like how to not be broken. And it was thankfully through, uh, my mom actually exposed me to like personal development work. She went and did this workshop and like a weekend sort of Tony Robbins esque style thing. And I didn't want to go. My brother didn't want to go. And mom kept nagging us to go, 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 go. And we finally went and, uh, I was, 18, I think my brother was 17. And there was a lot of tears, a lot of emotion. And it was the first time that I took off this mask of the perfect golden boy that I put over my face. Mm -hmm. And that's really where it all started. But from there, I just was still searching, feeling like something was missing. And I started to dwell into men's work and you know finding male mentors and things like that and it it all came from this guy called Elliot Hulse um, who was like a YouTuber he was a like strong man and he would just tell young men to just do the thing that you're afraid to do he was like breathe into your balls like feel your masculinity <laughs> and just go and do it mm-hmm. and as a 16 year old in your room you're like all right like I'm gonna do that <laughs> <It's not laughs> like, you know story. I just started doing things that I was scared of instead of just like always hiding from things that I was afraid of and You know, The fear was that if I went and did something I'm afraid of, then everyone else will see that I'm broken as I feel like I'm broken. And it was just a constant practice of trying to figure it out. And then I found out that there was a men's initiation workshop in uh, Sydney when I was 20 and I just jumped on it. And my brother and I flew over there. We did this amazing weekend, scared the shit out of ourselves, but came out the other side uh, with a few scars and a lot of broken pieces put together.
0: I love that. How so? Your brother does he has he has been as into this work as you have?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say he's more. So he got expelled uh, from both of his schools. So my school, and then he got politely asked to leave his school um, before he graduated. Because Ben was, you know, given the ADHD mm, label, yeah, and a phenomenally talented young man, um, just like a pro skater, like phenomenal snowboarder but works really well with uh, younger kids and youth at risk and so he's gone more into that path and has he used to be like an outdoor ed um, instructor for like kids that were youth at risk so it's like the kids that have their own special school mm-hmm. for <laughs> being too naughty to go to regular school and he just relates with them really well and has really um you know done a lot of buddying and mentoring with young younger men so uh you know kids between like 10 and uh, I'd say 17.
0: Can you tell me about this men's initiation workshop? You said you know that you you kind of went in and left with some scars, and that's when these, this conversation that I've had many times over and over again about how we look at at boys and men and expect them to succeed, especially in you know the American culture, by the money that they make or the car that they drive or a, a label of success and. Um, That we've lost this old kind of expectation that there's supposed to be something that they achieve that's either brave or strong or self-discovery or leadership that creates that kind of balance or path from boy to man. Can you tell me about your experience and what you learned in the process of going through that initiation weekend?
1: Yeah, I'd say like I was really, really fortunate actually to go. Uh, I went and started working in Queensland when I was 17. So this is on the other side of Australia. And you can imagine the scared little Josh is like, okay, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to go to economics or I'm going to try and do aviation. And I'm like, okay, if I don't go to university, I'm a failure. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I decided to take a gap year. And I ended up on a boat uh, in far northern Queensland, about 100 miles off the coast. And, and that was One of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. I remember taking a plane, having no idea what the hell I was going to do, like what the job entailed or whatever. I was like, okay, crayfish diving, I guess, like on the Barrier Reef. I like diving. I like free diving. Like, this is going to be cool. And the owner of the company actually lived in our hometown, and there was a space open. So I went, okay, I'm going to go check this out. And this ended up being my actual initiation uh, into the world. And, you know, I'm saying I'm lucky because I got this, real-world opportunity instead of having to just go off to a workshop. And the workshop was like the cream on the mm-hmm. on the cake for me. Got it. And so I went and I have never been so afraid in my life. I literally got up, um, got off the plane, you know, I was with some people and then I got in this truck with this like classic Aussie bogan, like rural guy smoking cigars, listening to classic mu- music, you know, we're driving this truck up in northern Queensland. It's being super racist and like just – I was like, oh my goodness, what am I getting myself into? My little 17-year-old Josh wasn't fit like I am now. I was a little bit pudgy. And um, I was like, oh, what if what I wonder what everyone's gonna think of me when I get there? I was like, okay, how do I how do I introduce myself? Should I am I Josh? Who am I? Like, and I was like, Oh, am I Dipma? Like, because that's what my friends (laughs) used to call me at school. I was like, shit, okay, what do I say? I was like, fuck. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning because what happens is the boat comes in and unloads all of these crayfish that are alive. They get on the truck and then they go flown to China. And so I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning in the dark and wait for this boat to come in and unload this crayfish with all these burly men and then jump on this boat and apparently go out to sea for two weeks or, you know, the rest of the year. And I was thinking... Oh my God, like what the hell have I got myself into? So all these men come off, we're unloading crayfish and, you know, doing all this stuff and I'm sweaty. It's hot, like Northern Queensland, like hot. It's like Mexico hot for you guys. And everyone gets off the boat and because the boat is in for four hours, everyone's between the ages of like 18, 19 to like 25. And there's about 14 of us. And everyone gets off the boat to go up to the top pub. And we're in uh, Cooktown in northern Queensland. So there's about 100, 200 people there. And they all go to the top pub. And it's called the top pub because it's the pub on the top of the hill. And there's middle pub and there's the lower pub. And <laughs> very, very like, discreet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's me on the boat. And it's just me. And I was like, shit. I was like, okay, what do I do? And so I just waited there, and everyone comes back to the boat and they're drunk, and like there's like as we're taking off, like there's a fight that breaks down the back deck and the boat starts to take off and the back there's a thing called a duckboard, which is like a metal grate that you stand on and the water can flush through it. That gets caught on the on the dock and rips off, and half of them are cheering, half of them are panicking, and all of the smaller boats that you meant to tie on the back get tied around the buoys and the markers, and people are jumping into like brown water and what brown water means in northern Queensland is crocodile water and you don't go swimming in crocodile water and so there's like half these guys chopping a rope and like someone's having a fight and I'm just sitting there and I was like oh my god what am I doing and like I was so afraid and I I put on a brave face and I was like don't be afraid like I was like okay I'm afraid but I gotta figure this out so I go downstairs you know everything got sorted out and I was like okay, I've got to be a bit tough. I was like, i got to be tough. So I, so I go up to this guy who looked like he was in charge and I said, I said, oi, I was like, where's my bed? And you got to think this guy's probably been out at sea for like four years. He's pretty rough and hard, harder than 17-year-old budgie Josh. And he looks at me and he just goes, what the fuck do you want? And I was like, oh, uh, so do you know where my bed is? Do you know where I'm sleeping? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, go ask the skipper. He's like, get out of here. And so I finally found the skipper in the wheelhouse and I go up and ask the captain. And I'm like, hey, hey, uh, but uh, do you do you know where my bed is? And he's like, Oh no, I'm not really sure. Go ask the other guys, and I'm like, Oh crap, okay. <laughs> go down, and, like trying to ask someone to figure it out, and everyone's like Yeah, man, to be honest, like and everyone's pretty drunk except for me, like literally everybody on board. And I was like, Um, yeah, so so where am I sleeping? And he's like, honestly, man, like we didn't know you were coming. And so they like walk into this storage compartment. And there's a sack of potatoes, a sack of onions, and a vacuum cleaner. And they pull it all off. And it used to be an old shower that they put a board through the middle to, like, you know, store more stuff. And there was a little thin mattress. And he's like, "Yeah, man, you can sleep in here." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, this this is you." And I'm like, "What?" And there's no curtain. It's in the middle of the galley. And I'm I remember like after like trying to you know I guess navigate the boat a little bit more and talk to some more people. I was like, "Okay, I'd better go to bed." And I'm lying in this thing that's about a foot too short and there's two divots that stick in at my waist so I can't lie on my back and I have to lie on my side. And I just remember the, the sound of the engine. And it just, just when you're on a boat, like the whole engine vibrates and the whole boat vibrates. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just feeling and hearing this sound of like vroom, vroom, vroom in my whole body and I'm just thinking, everyone's mad. I want to go home. This sucks. And I can't go home <laughs> like with every revolution of the engine. I'm just realizing I'm going further and further and further out to sea. Mm-hmm. And I ended up staying for two years. It was the best two years of my life. Are and you serious? It made, me, it made me who I am. And it was by far the one of the best experiences that I've had in my life. I got to dive on the barrier reef every day. I learned how to use my body physically. I put myself in dangerous situations and I, I proved myself as a young boy how to be a man and it was just great it wasn't and i finally i ended up actually getting a bed and (laughs) getting a better position in the boat and it was it was the initiation uh the natural initiation that i went through that really wound up to the men's initiation weekend which was uh, internalizing all the things that i'd experienced from elders And so I got this, you know, wild sort of cowboy style, like, you know, with the lads and we were just being dumb, and getting in fights and having fun, but, you know, very physically pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves to be better. And everything sort of came together at the, the warrior weekend and yeah, it really, like I said, really internalized all of those things from elders, and it articulated a lot of the thoughts that I had about what it meant to to be a man and how to how to really like be more a part of a community. And you know, like the hero's journey is where you go. You start at home and you leave, and then you you learn lessons and challenges and you have to slay the dragon and whatever. and then but then you come home with a gift for the community. And it was there that I really learned about my shame. I learned how to express my emotions and, you know, it went, you know, less from that rough and tough, like boys, like young man's world and really, really got all those things and articulated it into how I could express it in a healthy way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I love, like, I've heard you several times now say, I was afraid or I was this or I was that. And I wanted, I was going to commend you because it's very rare to hear a, a man kind of share like this was a hard experience for me this was said I was broken I was afraid I was all of these things right um typically it's like this happened but I'm cool it's, it's made me who I am you know like I'm all good and I think it's really fascinating because there is for for men from what I'm, I'm gathering from you and from some of the conversations I've had with some other um, guys who really believe in this kind of learning how to um lead from with there's a physicality meets emotions right like it there's there's both sides of it there's um this physicality this raw kind of like I have to kind of prove my strength in some ways and and maybe I'm misunderstanding that or misreading that um but also to be able to kind of express who I am and recognize what my gift gifts are and my 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 path to some extent um What would you say, like, when you had that that weekend and it brought everything together, when you talk about from your elders, did you consider the guys on the boat your elders? Or was it primarily some of the more, like, the people who were leading the weekend who were talking about that, you know, character or or emotions and and how to kind of bring that, those both sides of yourself together?
1: Mm yeah i think like uh just to frame it a bit it's like there's we as as young boys and men like we need role models to show us how to be men Mm. and i find for women there's like there's more of an innate feeling about what it means to be a woman and you know a natural nurturing and motherhood and those sort of things and i found with my conversations with women and friends and girlfriends like they're more in touch naturally with who they are who what it means to be a woman and for for guys, like it's more, we, we learn through experience and we learn through guidance. And so when we don't have that, we sort of, we can go a bit rogue and we're always looking for that. And that's why I find it's really easy for young guys to slip into gangs or whatever. It's because we're just looking for someone to show us how it's done. And So when I was on the boats, I took the, you know, the, what they had and the lessons to learn from them. And then with the, uh, you know, that, they were the role models in that world. And, you know, that gave me the physical, like you said, the physical challenge of what it means to, you know, to grow up. And when I went away on this warrior weekend, it was it's it's set up to go through the hero's journey. Um, So the hero's journey is from Joseph Campbell. It's amazing. He wrote uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, The Hero's Journey and a couple of other books. And it's about this myth or this legend that all stories follow throughout time. And so you know you go away from home and you and you leave everything behind, and there's a resistance to that. But then there is a you know a challenge, and then there is someone who who shows up and guides you. You know, so think like Luke and Obi Wan, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what you know. All these stories throughout time follow this follow this story arc. And in you know cultures, we always have a a mentor or a role model or an elder and the elders have been through the pain that we've been through and they've been through the joy and they've been through all of those experiences and they're able to pass down their knowledge and wisdom to help us avoid the same mistakes, but also help us to, you know, go through the trials and tribulations that sort of give us a bit of metal mm-hmm. and uh, strength behind us. So really- the elders were definitely the ones that uh, there, there are, when I say elders, they're old men. Right. They're in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they have to go through a process to become an elder.
0: I love it. Well, I've always believed that that, inter, that kind of like intergenerational passing down of knowledge is so important. Um, some of my, my closest friends um, imparted amazing gifts of knowledge um, to me right at their passing in their 80s and 90s. I, I was mm. to three different people um, to their passing. Or mm. had a conversation with them right before they died, and they needed me to know something that has completely flipped up the trajectory of my life in so many wow. ways. Because it's kind of like none of this really matters. <laughs> like you are running after money, you're running after title, you're running after this, you're running. What, why are you running? You know, and and kind of help you kind of reset and realize at the end of your life, you kind of look back at all of the things that you were trying to accomplish per. Other people's standards or expectations weren't really all of all that important. Um, so it really challenged mm. the way I looked at myself, the way I looked at religion, the way I looked at family dynam- uh, dynamics, and how we have a tendency to kind of put so much kind of pressure on small things that don't really matter. Um And that was like such a beautiful thing for for me to have this experience where someone much older than me was kind of guiding me in this kind of loving way and like, hey, I've accepted the fact that I'm getting ready to leave this earth, but I need you to know something. And I think that was just like such a blessing. And I'm, I'm curious for you because like you came out of this and you want to help other men. So what does it look like when you're working with men? Do you create your own type of journey for them? Um... And and how do you guys pay it for? Like how? What's the the, the purpose of going through this kind of um, male the male groups or coaching? Is there kind of a pay it for for
1: boys? Well, I think the like the whole the, whole, the environment is to be in a space where it's like just men, mm-hmm. and it allows you to go to these edges of who you are that just aren't acceptable to express in society and, you know, sometimes in front of women. Um, so it's like we touch the very depths of our anger and the depths of our, you know, sadness and and shame and like the edges of who you are. And it allows in my experience, I can only share my experience. It allows me to come back to the world and to my relationship and, you know, my interactions with women as a man, and instead of there being like in the old, you know, especially like I come from Australia, so I've, you know, had a fair bit of Aboriginal culture um, imprinted on me and, you know, understanding is like they're, they're like, they're, they'll say, they'll say there's men's business and there's women's business. And when the men go off and the women go off and they do their thing, then they come back as different pieces of the whole and they really fit together and we we're able to bring you know i love like talking about our gifts like we're really able to bring our gifts as you know two parts of a whole rather than being the same like women are attracted to men because they're men and men are attracted to women because they're women and we're not attracted to you know if you're heterosexual like i'm not attracted to a woman because she's more like a man right. like and i i think that that's that's the the essential underlying environment that it really gives you and there's you know it's just it's just different when you're spending time with just guys or, or just girls and i think the the pay it forward is like a natural there's a natural inclination you know it's like once you start to get this in your body like the hap the my general level of happiness is elevated because i'm i'm learning from older men and, I, and i'm i'm just in more of a a natural cycle of my life mm-hmm. i think and you know we can look back through time and the more healthy cultures have always had these prevalent throughout them. And I think that that's a massive piece that's missing is that we just don't have the, it's not normal to have this. And like now, like just because something is like mass appeal or everywhere doesn't make it normal. And I think, you know, that's a, a real shift that I had in my thinking is like, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it normal. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, that shifting our perspective around what is healthy and looking at like what are the results that we're getting, like like uh, who are the who are the people like you and I talked about last time? It's like who are the people that have the healthiest relationships that I want to emulate, and it's like if I switched lives with this person, would I be happy?
0: Right, and I think it's so important like that self kind of awareness and discovery right not taking kind of the status quo or what social expectations are but kind of rewriting them for for yourself and you talked about you know a woman's gifts and a man's gifts like what do you what do you when you look at uh masculine versus feminine how do you kind of categorize those gifts in relation to one another
1: Uh, i think like a huge one is what you said last, like last time. You were like, "Yeah, women, you know, in the, in the boardroom, or whatever." And it's like, women, what, what was it like? The women have different synapses and attachments in their brain, yeah. And so, particular parts of their brain are just more active than a man's. And it's like, it's not better or worse. It's just what it is. Biology. You know? <laughs> and so- <laughs> And so I think like like for me, it's uh f- for me, masculinity is like stillness and being able to sit in the emotions of sit and make decisions through emotion uh, instead of being swayed by emotions and you know being being caught up and being able to be like really present. I think the gift of the masculine is presence and that really allows, the the masculine you know some people have more masculine and feminine traits i'm not uh, saying it's man men and women i think that you know i've met some men that are more feminine and some women that are more masculine and i think that the presence is really the gift of the masculine and being able to be decisive and you know like you just think about like spring and it's like the 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 leaves and the the flowers are all and the the fruits and the nuts, there's everything's ejaculating everywhere and everything's moving forward and everything is expanding into, into life. And the feminine is, you know, it's more drawing in and it's nurturing. It's that, it's that creation. And it's, we just have to look at the the towers in our cities and the way that trees grow and then the way that, you know, women create inside of them. I think that those are the two, the two gifts that we have. And that is where life really flourishes.
0: I think that's really beautiful, creation and presence coming together. I am curious, I I am so aware right now, of what's happening with the Me Too movement. And I have mixed feelings about it, and we talked about this. So for me, coming from a finance background, right? Like, I love the fact that we have women coming forward and sharing their stories. Um, I do worry that it's moved us from a place of concern about um, sexual harassment to one of gender discrimination, because guys are now a little bit more afraid to be in spaces with women um, or mentor them because they're afraid of false reporting. Um, And so I, I love that more women are coming forward. I am a little bit concerned, though, In the course of the me too movement and this kind of like girls can we needed this right we needed more girls in positions of power we need more girls to know that they um are needed in decision making roles and politics and things like that i worry about the boys that are coming up during this time frame though um because they're going to be kind of raised in an environment you know they experience the patriarchy now on the field and what have you but how are we supporting them through this? And I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, how can we support um, boys and young men who are being raised at this point in time when we're having these huge conversations about why it's such a great thing to be a girl?
1: Yeah, I think it's just like, it's just really fostering a victimhood mentality. Like, it's just, uh, and like, that's what it's imprinting on young people boys is that like, it's, it's okay to be a victim. And I'm not saying that, you know, these things haven't happened and whatever, but it's like, it's creating uh, a victimhood mentality and not ownership. And I think that like, you know, Jocko Willink, like extreme ownership is like an amazing book to read because it makes you, it made me wake, wake up and be like, wow, like the only thing I can change is myself. Mm -hmm. And it's like the things that have happened in my life sure, that sucked. And, you know, whatever, if someone hurt me and, you know, that, that they did a terrible thing, I'm the only one that can change it. Yeah. And if I get hit by a car, like, okay, like I can, the only thing, you know, it's not like, I can change that, but I can change my response to what happens. And I think that's what it's shifting in, you know, young, like shifting in everyone in general is like, everyone's just taking the, the victim role. And it's, Like, woe is me, and I'm not going to take responsibility for my actions. You have to be responsible for me. And it's really easy to get that mixed up because people have done some freaking horrible stuff. Yeah. Just absolutely appalling, disgusting things. And it's, it's, it's hard because it's like we want those people to go on trial for their actions. And so the voice, it sounds justified. And, the but the underlying I guess result of that is what I'm saying is is victimhood, and yeah I think those two can get really really mixed up. So as a whole, I think that's that's the main thing. And then as young young boys, like I think that yeah there's a definitely like like the Gillette ad, like yeah. for example, like like what the hell, man? Like like some of the best experiences I have had uh, is just walking up to a girl on the street and saying, hey, how you doing? I thought you were pretty cute. I just wanted to come say hi. Like I've never had somebody say like, oh, my God, like you know not allowed to do that. Well, man, back off, like safety. And it's like, <laughs> it, do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. like reality check is, is is ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, it, it really it's... gets me worked up because it's like, like the, even that in itself, that doesn't even have anything to do with boyhood, but it's like teaching boys to walk around the street and be like, oh, okay, like I can't talk to girls yeah they like, say, what what's the next step? Like We play in the playground in different like we have different fenced off playground areas where we where we can't play. it's It just seems it just seems very strange to me. It doesn't even seem very logical or rational. And um, I don't see how it's going to end well,
0: yeah. I, I worry about the just the swings, right, And that we're trying to cause for things that have happened and call them out, which I think is important, but we could be creating a different issue. And I think that's what worries me more than anything is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, I've, I worry about my safety, and I have had bad situations, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had a cute guy walk up to me and I'm thrilled that he's talking to me. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there. <clears throat> and then what message is that, is that sending boys or girls, you know? And I think that that's what I worry for is I, I just worry that we have these just massive swings in either direction, and we don't have a clear playing field as to, to the best way to approach mm-hmm. – um, the next generation, right, rather than having them, and I, I've, I've thought about this, you know, many times with the stories we tell our kids about, you know, our experiences of lack and what life should look like as they enter enter the workforce or they enter relationships. Um, we always share stories based on the lens that we're looking through, and so, like, I have to really consciously parent my daughter and be like, do I want to shape her worldview based on my bad experiences, right? Or do I help her become an active learner and a critical thinker to where, you know, she's kind of looking at scenarios and saying like, how am, am I going to enter this? Is this person of good character? Am I concerned about my safety? Um, so I think there's a lot of responsibility for, for parents right now to help their kids kind of navigate what's, what's being kind of thrown out there in response to what's going on in the world.
1: I yeah, do. yeah. I think like like for me going forward, like you know, as I'm starting to get more interested in having uh, having kids, and you know, I've surprised myself. I'm like, damn, I'm twenty five, but I'm like, some of the like happiest people I've had have had you know kids pretty young, and they've like really like when I think about that, you know, I'm not ready for kids right now, but I ju- I think about like I'm really focusing on building a community around a healthy community around me and for my child you know it takes a village or a tribe to raise a child it happens anyway so what sort of village or tribe do i want to raise my child and it's definitely not most of the shit that's on on youtube or coming through regular media and it's like finding people around us that are going to support and build a proper community i think is is something that's really on the forefront of my mind as i move forward um, into this, you know, next phase of my life.
0: I love that because I, and I say that all the time, you know, when I'm talking to women, I'm like, who are your friends that your child is overhearing? You know, when you're talking to one of your friends and you're sitting around not really paying attention to the the kids, you know, coloring in the other room or whatever, like who are the people that are around your children that are overhearing those conversations? Because you never Mm. know what you're building. And in all of the work I've done, um, there's a direct correlation between like a mom's self-talk and a daughter's self-esteem. You know, and you don't even sometimes think of these things. Mm. Um, so I love that, and I think that that's so wise to make sure that the people that you have in your life um, are good examples of yeah. of the way life yeah. should be lived, or and you know have have great thinking. Um, skills or or reasoning skills so that they're also not coming into your child's life with kind of these rigid expectations of the way the world should look.
1: Mm. And I think like with, you know, to go back to the money thing, it's like when we start, when I've started to take more of this perspective is like, like my responsibility around money. And it's really changed from being a way that I uh, prove myself and my, my status, uh, my social status. Um, which I think, you know, sure it's, it's there, but money is more about like, like if I send my kid to daycare or do I want my kid going to regular school? Mm-hmm. It's like, I only get to make those choices if I have money. And as a, as a young man, it's really changed to being money was just this thing that I was grasping after. And now I just, there is a larger purpose behind the acquisition of money. It's more freedom and my responsibility as a man and a, and a provider and, and those sort of things. And it's, it's, it is so much more wholesome and healthy. and I, I barely burn I don't burn out. I don't feel like uh, much of a lack because there's this massive purpose behind me for my future instead of just in this never ending, like grasping at how much money I can gather and like it'll it'll never fulfill me. Um, it's a really, you know strong perspective shift. and I think that you know it's really powerful for guys. To get this this change because I feel like you said we can get caught up in money being the objective or the success measure
0: yeah absolutely and I think it's it's all about creating that life uh, that 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 purposeful life, right? I believe wholeheartedly mm. in intentional living and making sure that the decisions that we're making aren't because we're feeding. And I, I've i gotten really good at knowing when it's my ego or it's <laughs> intention, right? Like I, I was asked a couple of questions recently by this branding group um, that's helping me with my logos. And they were asking me like, what do you want to be known for? And I was like... And they threw out all of these things that sounded really good. I'm like, those sound amazing for my ego. And yes, those would be great. (laughs) But I just want to be a good example of how to live an intentional life. I want people to be like, she did it. She was able to create the life that she wanted and parent consciously. Um, I want to do that too. As opposed Mm. to being like, oh, she built an empire and she had a building named after her. She had, you know, I don't, that's not of interest to me. Um, Mm. It's more like I want to, I want to spur people to live a better life than they lived yesterday mm. and realize how much power they wield um, in the creation of that life and, and in the creation of all relationships around them. So I think those things are important. I have a couple of questions that I do wanna ask you. One of them, um, I wanna ask you about your dad. You know, you, you were very vulnerable in that conversation and I truly appreciate that and I'm curious, has there been any kind of conversation with him or reconciliation in your own mind or heart about the fact that he left when you were younger. Yeah,
1: yeah, there has been, um, definitely. And I'll share, share a pretext to like the the situation. So um, so after after dad left, mum became like very, very intense in our lives and she, <laughs> she used to, so we, my brother and I were really naughty. Um, I was like, I got away with more because I was sneakier. Ben wasn't so sneaky and so he got in trouble a lot more, so... Um, shout out to Ben for taking the blame for most of it. But, uh, <laughs> they're, um, like my friends used to call her, my mum's name is Diane and, um, love you mum. And they used to call her detective die because oh. she would snoop around and like, she would always figure, you know, she, she had this wound. And so she felt like she had to do the same for us or that we would leave her, you know, like there was always something wrong. Mm-hmm. And what she used to do is she used to, she would wait until we were, you know, flying down the highway, uh, doing 90 Ks or 110 kilometers an hour. And then she would confront us on an issue when there was no escape. And and it was terrible and I hated it. And it was like, it was so, there was no escape ever. And you're like, oh, no, mum's going to like say something and I can't just jump out of this flying car.
0: <laughs> you're like, I'm ditching.
1: <laughs> and, um, oh, so funny. I, and I like, yeah, I got, Dropped off a couple of times and had to hitchhike home. But, um, cause I, <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this, mum, get me out of the car and she'd stop. And then I'd be like, damn it, I'm 20Ks from home and I have to hitch home right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but so I went up. My dad, um, is a bit of a nomad. They call them grey nomads in Australia. The, they, you know, have caravans and they sort of, they follow the seasons and they're usually old, retired people. And my dad's a bit of that style. He's an outback sort of guy. He writes poetry and very, uh, you know, actually a very, um, soft man at his heart and you know it's really come through as he's gotten older and he's gotten over his own regrets and guilt over what happened but we were um I was up in this place called Dampio or Carafa which is in the Pilbara and the Pilbara is sort of where we grew up traveling and it's, it's red dirt it's beautiful country but very harsh and there's so much open desert and we were driving back and you know I decided to go up and spend two weeks with him which was really like weird and awkward for me to do and I sort of I tried a few times like like I went on this personal development weekend that I spoke about in the first place. They suggested that you hug, you know, he was telling this story about how he hugged his dad and his dad didn't know how to hug him back. And I was like, shit, I don't hug my dad. And so, you know, by this point, I'd seen him a few times and I hugged him and he didn't know how to hug me back. (laughs) And he sort of just patted me on the back with one hand and turned his heart away from my body. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is a few years later, I decided to go up to Karatha for a a week or two, which is going to be the longest time that I'd spent with him for a long time. And we were driving back and there was probably like a 25, 30-minute drive left. And it wasn't until later that I realized that I'd used one of mum's tactics. And I was like, Dad, why did you leave? Why did you leave me? And he sighed. And he goes, he's just like, yeah, Josh. And he proceeded to tell me uh, the pain that he went through, and the reasons he did what he did, and expressing his guilt and his sorrow and his loss. And to hear that was so much for me as a young man. Um, I think I was twenty years old when I did that. Maybe, uh, maybe it was twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty-one. And it really, it really healed that part of, helped to heal that part of me that I that I was already stitching together that I was fundamentally broken Mm -hmm. and realizing that my dad actually loved me. And I just, he, he did the best with the tools that he had. And it was so, it was a tough, tough few years before I knew that. Mm -hmm. And I really, because I didn't get it, you know, I didn't understand. And I really carried around this feeling that it was my fault. And so did Ben, you know, and it's like, it's crazy that we both had the same experience, but took it on in different ways. And it's shaped our lives around that, and so that would definitely be the moment. And it was comedic when I realized that I used the same tactic <laughs> that I'm <used> on him.
0: <laughs> Detective.
1: Detective die.
0: I love it, but them in a situation where they're vulnerable. It's smart. Um, I I think that I mean I'm glad that you had that. I'm glad. Like my mom is a uh, is an alcoholic, and she and I had a moment recently, um, where she shared some things that had happened. That same kind of thing. You realize like. It's, it wasn't to be purposefully hurtful, right? It was they didn't, they didn't have more, um, better tools, better coping mechanisms, um, going through their own thing. And as a kid, you, you take it on as, as being about you. So um, I'm glad that you had that experience. I'm curious, if you look back over the course of your life at your younger self, younger Josh, what, um, what does he look like? What age do you get? And what does he need from you? What would you say to him?
1: He just needs a like a couple of hands on your shoulders, and just mm. someone to tell him, "You got this, buddy. You've got this." Mm. Just a pat on the back and just a bit of support. Yeah. And I I really have built up this armor around um around that, you know, through my since then to be like, I've got this. Like I've I I am I can do this myself. I don't need anyone else, and I can't open up to anybody else because I have to have this and no one else has got my back mm-hmm. and just to know someone had my back and be like you got this buddy yeah would would you have just oh it softens me just thinking about it
0: I yeah I can imagine I think was, I I created a story myself that it was like I, I kind of go out life alone you know mm. and everything is like a journey alone and like that I mean it, it would bring such comfort That's really beautiful. If you were leaving this earth and you could leave behind one gold nugget of wisdom or inspiration, something that you'd want some people to know, something that's from your own life experience, what would it be?
1: Just do it. Just do the thing that you're afraid to do. And like like this morning, I was afraid. um, You know, like I had an argument with my girlfriend the other day and I sort of was a little bit afraid. And I was like, oh, but it just, I've really shifted that since Elliot just told me to breathe into my balls and just do the thing that I'm afraid to do. That is just changed my life for the better. And to just be like, I don't feel afraid. And I just, I just run headlong, just straight into whatever it is that I'm feeling resistance towards mm-hmm. with an open heart. And an, you know, not often open mind, but an open heart at least. And I just give it my best. And yeah. I really just give it my all. And just to have that experience of giving your all, whether that's physically, like emotionally, like I think that's so important to just it's so easy to just it for me personally. It used to be so easy to turn off my mind and turn off my heart. Mm-hmm. And then my mind would turn back on, but my heart wouldn't open. And I would just be so active and be able to do things physically and working out and running around and doing businessy things and whatnot. And now I'm learning how to open my heart and my soul and really really connect with people. And that's where the joy of life is for me. It's really given me a new perspective on life. So that would be the golden nugget I'd love to share.
0: Oh, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And I think I I love what you said about opening your heart and kind of like leaning in Um, a lot of times, especially when we're in conflict with someone, we have a tendency to kind of like approach the situation from like this guarded perspective and like, I'm only going to give them so much to see how they respond to me. And I had one of those moments recently where I sat down and I said, I'm just going to open my heart and tell you how I feel. And, just I'm just going to be vulnerable right now because I could I could work this and I could test you but I'm just going to I'm just going to be open hearted and the conversations in any way whether it's a person that you love or it's in a work situation or a, a friendship um, when you're like I'm just going to put it out there um I I've gotten the most mm. out of this conversation And there's a
1: difference. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 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 And there's, there's a difference between uh, intellectual understanding and saying, I'm good at saying the right thing. Like I'm charming. <laughs> good looking. I know what to say and the right time to say it. But there is a completely different experience when you feel it. Yeah. Because the other person can feel it. And that is when you have a true connection.
0: I have a feeling this Bianca is very good for you.
1: God, fuck, tell me about <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um, Josh shared with me um, his girlfriend Bianca, some of his stories and lessons he's learned through her in his podcast. And I just, <laughs> I, I can feel her presence every time you and I communicate. So I feel like she's really good for you. She's next level. So I hope at some point in time you guys make it to Vegas, Vegas. I get to meet you in person and meet Bianca. And I'm just so thankful that you were willing to open up and be vulnerable and talk to me about the masculine. I know the feminine, but to have someone kind of walk through it with me, I'm so appreciative and I know people will get a lot out of this. So thank you for that.
1: Mm, Thank you babe, that was amazing.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I love Josh's clear direction. Boys need role models to show us how to be men. We learn through experience and we learn through guidance. I appreciate his emotional honesty and the space he takes up in the world. Josh, you have a voice and a platform that is very needed. I can't wait to see what you do with it. You can find Josh on IG at Ditmer or his website JoshDitmer.com. Josh and I talk about doing deep work to uncover your messaging, which is the cardinal point of my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. Get into the work with me. Lore is available now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at Schneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention-setting journey. I'm inviting you, totally free, from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at Schneider.com. and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention-setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.